Turn with me to John chapter 4, would you? John chapter 4, transformed by Jesus. We're continuing in our series of the amazing promises of God. So here we are, 2023. It's official. We cannot turn back, amen? (laughs) We're going forward. And uh, I just, I was thinking as we move into this year, this year reminds me that the truth of Jesus is needed like never before. And when I hear what's going on, I see what's happening, I'm so thankful for how amazing Jesus is. Jesus is amazing. Can you say amen to that? His words are amazing. We've learned his miracles are amazing. We think of all the things that we've been talking about and sharing the things that have happened in in our church, um, the amazing things that, you know, we we see a lot of miraculous things taking place here, and we've talked about them uh, repeatedly. Uh, You know, it's, it's interesting that, and this really opens up a question for us. In Acts chapter 4.13, although I know we're in John 4, I just wanted you to look at, I was reading this, I thought, yes, I want to open with this. The members of the council, this is the Sanhedrin council, had brought Peter and John before them. And it says the members of the council, this was the leading theologians of the time, were amazed. They were amazed. Because when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they could see that they were no ordinary, they, they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. And here's the thing, this, this sentence, I got bold in, in, in front of me and it's just like, wow. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, I realize, how, how is it? Did they just like see them with Jesus? Did they somehow put them together? I believe they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus because of what they said, because of how they presented themselves to the council, because of the way they interacted when being confronted. I believe it just, they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Ordinary individuals, Peter and John, who became amazing because they had been with Jesus. You and I, are amazing because we've been with Jesus. Here's the question. Would people recognize us? Would they notice in us that we have been with Jesus? Is our language, our conversation, is the way we walk and talk, is the way we drive our cars? Would people say, here is someone who has been with Jesus? What's the evidence that we have, if I asked you, show me the evidence that you've been with Jesus, what would that be? What is it that you would share with me? Here is my evidence to show that I have been with Jesus, that the love and the presence of God has invaded my life. It's changed me from an ordinary individual to someone who's extraordinary, not because of my education or my talents or, you know, all the things that I might have, I'm extraordinary because the evidence proves the fact that I've been with Jesus. I believe that's something that jumps out as we prepare to look at John chapter 4 because we're going to see how God is going to work with a very ordinary human being. Matter of fact, not only ordinary, but troubled with lots of things probably going on, although we're not going to focus a lot on all of that. 
But we're going to see that this message is for those of us who need a little more hope, a little more love, a little more grace. You know, maybe, um, I don't know, what's holding you back? Are the problems of life holding you back from following Jesus like you want to? I had this conversation with someone. I said, what is, why is it that you can't do X, Y, Z? And the response was, well, there's so much going on right now. I don't have time. Does anyone feel that way? I don't raise your hands. You're on camera right now. And if you raise your hands at home, I have no idea. <laughs> but... Some of us feel that way. We might feel like we're just too busy to do, perhaps, to be, to be the follower that we want to be. So I have a feeling a lot of us really want to be more of a follower of Jesus, but it feels like there's just too much. Health issues, work issues, family issues. There's, have you noticed there's always something coming up? I don't know if there's ever going to be that perfect time. In John chapter 4, if you're there, look at verse 3. You can follow along. It tells us that he, that's Jesus, left Judea to return to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on his way. Uh, eventually, he came to uh, the Samaritan village of uh, Sachar, uh, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well, and it was about noontime. Now, I read that, and you might miss the nuance of that one sentence. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Can you say that with me? He had to go through Samaria on the way. Had to. He didn't have to do anything. He's Jesus. He could do what he wanted. Can you see of that? But the word says he had to go there because... At the time that this was spoken, when it says that, it's actually very important. Now, why did he have to go? See, I'm convinced there's a lot of reasons, but one reason is because there was a human being who needed a special touch from Jesus. And I believe that Jesus will go out of his way for us. Because at that time, Jews did not travel through Samaria. But Jesus made a choice to do so because of the need of a heart in the life, not only of a single person, but also because of an entire village that would be touched. At the time, you've got to understand that this was written, the Jews didn't go through Samaria. They avoided Samaria. Now, the place that he's going to has some deep theological roots. I wish I had time to go into the depth with you and do a deep dive with you on this, but there is something really significant in this because he went to Jacob's well. You'll notice that, right? Jacob's well. Now, this is important because Jacob, who, by the way, name is translated Israel, had purchased a piece of land that he would give to his son Joseph, and it was the land of Shechem which is where they were right now, where the Sumerians had built their villages and their culture. And buried on that land was Joseph. And this well was highly valued by the Samaritans, but also by the Jews, because it was the well of Jacob who was known as one of the fathers of the Jewish nation. 
He was one of the founders of the Jewish nation, Jacob's well. I thought, this is brilliant. Because if you look at this, what's happening is that Jesus is going to a place that has commonality between two people who don't talk to each other. Jacob's well brought together the Samaritans and the Jews because it was a central place of where Joseph was buried and the well that really was recognized as such as connected to Joseph and to Jacob on both sides. See, that's what Jesus does. He goes and he looks for those places of commonalities to bring people together. And that's exactly what's happening here. This is an important concept because you've got to realize the Jews would not have gone through Samaria because the Samaritan Jews were considered impure. Now, why? Okay, you've got to go back through history. Again, I don't have, I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version of this history. But basically, uh, this was a time when the Jews had been taken captive by the Syrians. And as a result of their time of captivity, they began to intermarry and mix faith and culture of Israel with the Assyrians, and all of a sudden they, they got this kind of kind of this interesting salad that they made, this mixture that they had put together. And so what had happened as they continued to proceed with life, the Samaritans began to move away from the faith of God, and they weren't following the Jewish laws and regulations. They weren't worshiping. A lot of things were changing, and now they were seen as contaminated. That's a strong word, but that's kind of how they saw it. And so the Jewish people, you know, at one, you might recall, you know, when they built the temple in Jerusalem, the Samaritans had come and said, could we help? Because we believe in the Messiah. They're reading the, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, just like they were. Now, that's all they read, though. That was part of the problem, is they weren't reading the other books or the other writings that were available to them. And basically, because of all that had gone on, the Jews who were building the temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem said, no, you can't help us. Matter of fact, you can't have anything to do with us. We don't want you around. So the Samaritans said, well, they got back, and they said, well, that's fine. We'll go build a temple over here on Mount uh, Gerzim. And so we're going to build on this mountain. The Jews built on Mount Zion. So we had two different mountains with two different temples with different types of worship, but with some overlapping faith in theology. And so here comes Jesus, realizing there's all this tension going on. And here is this woman. Now, even without the Samaritans, a Jewish male of the time and a rabbi would not talk to a female whether it was Jewish or Samaritan. So now we've got Jesus coming to this well, and there is a female, a Samaritan. We'll see in a moment an immoral individual whose life is just not, is very difficult. And Jesus in a moment is going to say, please give me a drink. And like, explosion. Like all of a sudden, all the rules are being broken. Everything is now changing. And that's what I love about Jesus. You see, Jesus, normally the Jews would have walked the long way around to avoid, you know, the situation here. What does Jesus, he goes right down the middle. 
And he meets this woman. He meets this culture. He meets with these people because that's who Jesus is. He comes to bring life. He comes to bring hope. And he is not going to, here's, I want you to hear this. He's not going to walk around. He's going to come straight on. Can you say amen to that? And so I love the fact that we learn from this, regardless of the gender or the belief or the race or all the things that we could think might divide us, Jesus says, I'm going to come to remove that division. I'm going to come to speak to every human being because that's who I am and that is his mission is to come and to speak to his creation. And so must we. Too often we walk around people rather than walking right up to them, bringing the grace and the love of God just like Jesus did. There's something very important about what's going on here. See, Jesus made this commitment to us. He promised us that he would seek and save the lost. He would seek and save it. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're going through. I mean, as simple as this may sound, Jesus has come. And he is now here for all people. And this is an amazing truth. Here is a woman who had a really troubled past who Jesus is going to meet at a well. So here's what I figure. If Jesus can meet someone at a well, he can meet you at a store. Matter of fact, he can meet you while you're in the middle of traffic and you're stuck trying to get through Seattle. (laughs) He can meet you in the middle of an argument with someone that maybe you shouldn't be arguing with. He can meet you in a classroom. He can meet you in the hospital room. He can meet you at any room in your home. There's no corner you can hide from Jesus. In other words, Jesus can meet you any place, anywhere, anytime. And he's going to say to you, please give me a drink. Now watch out when he says that. (laughs) It's a loaded request. (laughs) You know, she was there, and we know from the scripture, she was there at noon. uh, And and all the things we know about what was going on, it's because she was avoiding people. Women, you know, they just, that was the wrong time of the day to be going to get water. It's the hottest part of the day. She would have normally gone earlier when it was cooler. And women don't go by themselves to go get, normally they traveled in groups, especially in that area. And we also know because of the geography, there were wells closer to her that she could have gone to. She was going out of her way to go to a well where she might not run into anybody. And I think that she was avoiding human contact just like some of us do too. Right? I know people who avoid contact with people because of the shame they feel because of the embarrassment. You know, there's some people have what's called social anxieties. And you might not see it in someone, but there's some people who really have a hard time being in a setting like this. They feel uncomfortable. There are people who are, who are afraid to be around her because they might get sick. You know, there's a lot of fear that our culture and our society has produced because of the viruses and the pandemic. 
There are people who just live an avoidant life. They just don't want to be mixed into the population because it seems overwhelming. You know, I th- we might know some people like that. I do. The Samaritan woman was probably a human being, I'm convinced. I'm not going to do a whole profile on her, but I'm pretty convinced of a couple things. She probably, based on what we know, was probably seen as a sexual object. She was objectified. I think also at the time, even more than that, I think she was seen as a servant, as someone who would do stuff. Because, see, at the time, again, you got to remember, at the time, a woman could not go and get a job. So if she didn't have a husband, she had to figure out another way of making it. And I've got a feeling she was, because especially the male population knew this, they took advantage of her because of her vulnerability and put her to work, not just sexually, but also because of she needed a place that she could live, a place where she would serve. I think she was a human being who was really taken advantage of. And I've got a feeling... But she had a lot of resentments and a lot of woundedness and a lot of hurt. So in verse 9, the woman was surprised, you know, because Jesus says, can you give me a drink? You know, for the Jews refuse to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And, and, and she said to Jesus, you're a Jew. How did she know that? He must have, maybe I think of the clothing, you know, somehow he might have looked like he was Jewish. Now, he was a rabbi. He probably had some kind of rabbinical thing. He said, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Come on, buddy. What's going on here? You know, I know what men want. So what's the point here? What do you, you want me to get you what? It, some, another male is going to take advantage of me. You want me to work hard to go get the water. You, you can't put the bucket in and, you know, dip it in the water and bring it up. I got to do this for you. I mean, all, who knows what's going through her, but so why are you asking me for a drink? Boy, is she... Now, look at the, look at the response. You've got to love the response. Verse 10. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who I am, you'd ask me, and I would give you living water. Talk about a turnaround in the conversation. So... She's, she's trying to challenge him. I mean, I, her statement is, I think, kind of a little bit of a conf- confrontational. So, you know, why are you asking me for a drink? Like, you know, you know, what's going on here kind of a thing. And he doesn't say, well, it's because, or he doesn't even answer it. He just says, look, if you knew, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who I am, I have a feeling that he said, if you know who I am, I think he paused for a moment. So it would kind of reverberate in all of creation for a moment. And then he said, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. Let me, let me I, re, I rephrased this. I, I kind of reframed it. Listen, if you knew that I was God in the flesh, the Messiah, right, the one you've been waiting for, you'd be asking me for something that would change your life and it wouldn't be drinking water. It would be something that only I can give. Yes. Eternal life, abundant life, yes. new life. Yes. 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 Jesus saying, you know what? There's two wells of water here. There's one well, Jacob's well, 
And then there is my well, a spiritual well. Two types of water, drinking water and living water. And Jesus does this all intentionally, not only for her, but for us. Because we have living water from a well that is absolutely amazing. If only you knew the gift that God has for you. I wonder how many of us in the church don't recognize the gift that God has for them. I think a lot of us are not asking God for what we really need. I think God wants to make a a shift in how we see things because he promised us eternal life. He promised us abundant life and he promised us new life. Look at verse 13. People soon become thirsty again after drinking this water. Again, he's referring to Jacob's well water. But the water I give them takes away thirst altogether. Now again, this, this could be kind of weird, but all of a sudden, making a, it says it becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now you've got to remember, this woman, is, this is not the first time she's been to this well. We don't know how many times. She's been there a lot. But today was a different day. And she did know that she had a scheduled appointment that Gabriel put into heavenly uh, schedule there on the calendar that she was going to have a conversation with the creator of all the world. And I think it's brilliant that Jesus uses this word picture of a very common thing, being thirsty and water, and teaches us something so powerful Because every time we drink regular water, we're going to be thirsty again, right? I mean, we all know that. We need to be hydrated, right? You all need to drink lots of water, right? That's important to you. And not just coffee. Well, isn't, well, coffee has water in it. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) Excuse me, let me drink a little bit more. Ah, living water. But those of us who really trust Jesus have a spring of living water that's turned on. You know how it's turned on? Because we believed and received Jesus. And the minute that happens, someone turns a spigot on. And living water starts flowing within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit starts flowing in us, everything changes. Do you know what I want in my life that I want for you? I want Jesus to invade my life. Not just influence it. I think the church today is okay with a little influencing. But what about the invasion of Jesus into your life? Into your heart? See, that's a more powerful word. And I chose that word because I have allowed Jesus to invade my life because of how much I love him. I think we avoid the invasion by saying, okay, God, influence me a little bit so I'm still comfortable. See, what's happening here is Jesus is saying, I'm going to take away the misguided thirst quenchers and replace them with my thirst quencher. See, we get thirsty, he says, physically, but we also get thirsty spiritually. And there's a lot of dry people who are really thirsty spiritually, and they're looking for something to quench their thirst. 
And so, you know what will quench my thirst is more money. That's what I need. That will, that will solve the issue. Or what will quench my thirst is more sex. Or what will really quench my thirst is some alcohol or drugs. What will quench my thirst is a new car. Something that we've assigned that we believe will fill in and take away the thirst in us. And the problem is, Jesus said, yeah, you can do all those things, but you're going to be thirsty again and again and again. And the only thing that's going to resolve that thirst is my living water. And yet we don't, and and it's available anytime, anywhere, anyplace. And how, I wonder how much we don't utilize the living water of God. You know, there's a real big difference between God's grace invading my life and God's grace influencing my life. Can you say amen to that? There really is. So, so I want you to get this. So they had this conversation. He's talking about, well, you know, the spring of living water and comparing the two wells. And then verse 15, now we jump to verse 16, and look what he says. Uh, go, get, go and get your husband. I mean, I'm not even sure how that connects. When you look at the sentences, it's like Jesus just kind of changed the subject. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. Now, if someone said that to you, you might, you know, what would you say? You know, if you were having a conversation, you know, I'd like to meet my husband, and the person said, well, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. I don't, whatever you ever want to put it. And you would go, well, I don't know what you say. Look what Jesus says. You're right. <laughs> you, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man that you're living with right now. Talk about going for the jugular. I mean, think about that. It's like, wow, I love Jesus. He is not subtle. (laughs) He is to the point, and I love that. I am so thankful that he doesn't fool around. You know what? There's no small talk with Jesus. If you're looking for small talk, Jesus isn't your man. Because he is going to come, and he moves to this amazing metaphor of water and thirst because he wants to affect a human being's soul woundedness because she was wounded. Talk about someone, I believe, who had hurt from her culture, from her people, from the world around her. And Jesus knew that. He says, I'm here to bring relief from the thirst that's there because you have because of your shame because of your resentment. I think God is saying to us, as well as to this woman, I, like, I see your heart, and I see your soul, and I know what you need. And you know what you need? Honesty. You need truth. You don't need someone talking around. You don't need someone going around you. You need someone coming right to you. And I appreciate how God speaks truth Because I want to be seen by Jesus. Even though I don't want to be seen by Jesus. (laughs) Does anyone feel that way? I want to be seen by Jesus. Well, no, I don't really want to be seen by Jesus. Because the problem is he knows everything. 
I can't hide from Jesus. Bummer. You and I cannot hide from him. It's like we want to go up to him. We want to say, here I am, God. And then I think that's why we're afraid sometimes to go to God. Because he knows everything about us, and we know he knows everything about us. And we go and say, hey, God, hey, how's it going? Forgive me, I had kind of a bad moment. And then God says, uh, well, go and get your husband. Or something, you know, go, go and get, you know, and, and you're going, okay, thank you very much. Let's see if we can't deflect from this conversation. Jesus is moving this woman. I want you to see something from a transactional relationship to a transformational relationship. You see, a lot of us in the church today, I want you to get this. This is an important truth. Is we live Jesus transactionally and not transformationally. What do I mean by that? Well, we transact business with Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, I transact a relationship with Jesus because I show up. Check. I read my Bible. Check. I give my tithe. Check. I sang the songs, and I was in tune. Check, check. (laughs) I said hi to three people. Check, check, check. And I drove out of the parking lot calmly and safely. Check, check, check. That's transactional. But Jesus says, I want transformational. What do you mean? I want your heart and your soul Not just what you do, I want who you are. I want you to give me your heart. I want to transform your life. And you go, God, that's that's going to be some work. No, that's going to be a miracle of me touching your life. And your willingness to let go of the transaction and come to what's transforming. And we're just like this woman. So he sets her up, right? And he just made this really, I mean, he just made this powerful statement, you know, let's read the end of it. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. And so at that moment, I mean, she would have like started crying or put her head down or said, oh, you, you nailed me or, well, you just read my mail or you know me or, well, I feel so bad. She, she had every opportunity, but what does she do? Sir? That's kind of a, a, a very interesting word to use, but it was, I think, out of respect, but it was also because she, she wanted, the woman said, well, you must be a prophet. I mean, like, you must know things. So, so tell me, so rather than talk about her, look what she does. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem's the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim the place of worship's right over there on that mountain? Why is that mountain better than this mountain? What is she doing? Changing the subject. Why? Doesn't like where Jesus is going. And that's exactly what we do. Deflection. You know, it's like, Jesus is getting real. And maybe a little intense. I think that's one of the reasons why we have a hard time going to Jesus. Because he's real, he can be intense, he can be to the point. And we're sitting here feeling embarrassed, and it's very uncomfortable. We're feeling caught. We're feeling in trouble. You know, I learned from kids. I got grandkids. The other day, I 
one of my grandkids got into something and made a mess, right? And I said, did you do that? And she looked at me and said, no. I said, well, it's all over the front of your shirt, and it's on your hands, and there's this mess on the counter and on the floor. Did you do that? No. (laughs) Well, who did it? You're right. She said Sophie. (laughs) But Sophie was there licking it all up. (laughs) Sophie was wagging her tail going, thank God for these grandkids. (laughs) But the first place she went to was to lie. And that's what we do. Or we deflect, or we run, or we change the subject, or we become politicians and give God an ambiguous answer. And I think she's being a, I think she's being a religious politician here. Jesus just says something and she deflected and went to a non-answer. She went someplace else. And we've got to be careful we don't do the same thing. See, Jesus is not going to be sidetracked. Even though she's going to try to change the subject, you know what? Amen to that. I am glad my God will not be sidetracked. I am glad that as much as I want to move the subject around, and I want to be, see, I want to become a moving target. That way God might not get me. But, yeah, exactly. Not going to work. And that's what she's trying to do. Jesus replied, and I, oh, look at this reply. I love this translation. New Living, this is a New Living translation. Believe me, dear woman. So she said, sir. She goes, I love Jesus' response. Dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So I love the fact that he's now resolving the theological controversy of the time. You know what? This mountain, that mountain, this church, that church. It doesn't matter anymore. And he's going to explain because, see, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all, all about him. Now, that may sound arrogant, but it isn't because, listen to what he says, for salvation comes through the Jews. That's a prophetic word. That's not just being conceited here. And, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here. Now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that's for all of us. That's for the Israelites, for the Samaritans, for anybody. That's what he's saying. You see, you've got to realize the Samaritans had narrowed down their understanding of the word to just the Torah. The first five books of the Bible. Now, there was a lot of other writings. There was the writing of the prophets, and there was comment there was so much else going on and they just didn't read any of it and i think that's what some christians are like well i'm a new testament christian that's all i read is the new testament when there's an entire word here that opens up our eyes to the truth of the word of god that we won't understand unless we read it in its entirety study it in its entirety So the time's coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him. 
that way. And then he says, listen, for God is spirit. And because he's spirit, he's everywhere all the time. Because he's spirit, he knows all things. Because he's spirit, he's all-powerful. And so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I am so thankful location isn't critical. Here's what's critical. You ready? Your heart attitude. How it is that you let the living water flow inside of the core of your life. This is the core of your body, which represents the core of life. That you and I allow the living water to flow. You know, Jesus is focusing this woman on her present moment and showing her what her future could be. And that's what Jesus does for you. He says, okay, let's look at right now where you are today because I want you to see where you can go tomorrow. I want you to understand that you have the gift of eternal life in front of you. You have hope for the future. But if you live in the past and take the past and chain yourself to the past, if you don't get to the present, how can you ever have hope for the future? Yes, sir. See, man, I, the rea- I love the fact that Jesus, listen, do you notice he does not beat the woman up because of all of her mistakes and failures and sin. She doesn't beat her up about her past. He stays in her present, refocuses on the future. If anyone could have pointed a finger, it would have been Jesus. He could have nailed this woman. I can't believe you, lady. Five husbands? Not really your husbands? And now the one you're living with isn't your husband? What are you thinking? You are a relational nightmare. The last ten years of your life have been X, Y, Z, and you need some help. Can you say, thank God that he didn't do that? And that he doesn't do that for anybody? See, I think we can imagine that in our heads. We play that, I think we play that kind of conversation as if it might possibly maybe happen. So I don't want to go near God. And that's just not true. He is going to address the reality. Again, no small talk with God. He's going to deal with what's going on. I think we have a hard time with that because here's what God's not going to do. He's not going to label you. He's not going to label you failure. He's not going to label you alcoholic. He's not going to label you divorced person, unworthy person. Whatever label you've given yourself, he's not going to label you. Instead, he's going to redirect you. He's going to redirect where you are today to a place of hope and grace and what he wants is transformation inside your heart and your soul. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So Jesus made a promise that he would come as the Messiah, and he declares, I am the Messiah. And look what it says, the woman, verse 25, the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, and the one who is called Christ, which is, that would be the Greek for anointed one, And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Okay, so she just set herself up. This is great. Be careful what you say to God. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. 
I think the way he said it was, I am. And then it just kind of echoed through all of creation. And then he added, the Messiah. And just then the disciples came back. And they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Because you just don't do that. But none of them had the nerve to ask. (laughs) They learned something in their time with Jesus. I mean, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? They're thinking that. But they didn't ask. See, I think that betrays us because we think it, even though we don't say it. Our prejudices, our biases... I think the things that really are unhealthy in us, they run inside the head. And we don't want to say anything because we're afraid if we say it, it'll be different than if we think it. Let me just kind of help you out. Thinking it is probably worse than saying it. Both are bad. But I want you to begin to see what's going on because look what happened. They're having this conversation. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone come and see a man who told me everything I ever did could he possibly be the Messiah and so people came streaming from the village to see him can you see a minute of that what an amazing moment the words I am the Messiah this declaration came out he could have said you're right I am a prophet I am a great teacher. Man, I am a rabbi. Instead, he says, I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of God's promise. I am the only begotten Son of God. And whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, you and I have a choice. Well water or spiritual water. And really, God's saying, you need both. Right? We still need to drink water. But we need the spiritual water from the spiritual well. You got two types of water. You got two types of well. You got a a jar of water. Here's what I hear God saying to us. It's time for you to move forward. Put your jar down. Because you can't move forward with that jar. Not well. You're going, well, what does that mean? Well, what is the jar of regular water? What is is it that you have been using to quench your thirst? Here's what God is saying to us. Put that down. That thirst quencher isn't going to quench your thirst. What's going to quench your thirst is the living water of God. So you put this down, and now you go back home. And talk about Jesus. Wherever you are, go, go and let people know what you found the Messiah. You found the Christ. And let me share with you the evidence of my changed life. But here's the point. If there isn't evidence, then it's time for you to make some decisions. Because what are you going to say to the people at home, at work, you know, where you are shopping because they're looking for to hear what you have to say. And I think some of us would say, well, I don't know I have anything to say. You have lots to say. 
you live around in a community of miracles. There is so much evidence of Jesus. There is so much to talk about. But you've got to put down that jar. Here's what I discovered, a truth that I think is important. Jesus touched the lives of many because he touched the life of one. Here's the evidence of that. John 4, 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. And many more believed. Listen, you can make a difference by sharing with one person. Meeting with one couple. One family meeting with one family. I believe in that. But what we need to do is put our jar down and walk away from the well and move forward and go tell someone about living water. And some of you, can I say it this way? You need to be amazed again. You need to be amazed again. You've become stagnant spiritually. And you can change that by seeing the, the works of God's love and grace and mercy. If you really believe Jesus died for you and you've received him, then the word says you belong. You may not have realized this, but you are at the well right now. We're here and there is a well of living water. I mean, how many times have some of us been here how many times did that woman go to that well and all she got was regular water? But this time, today, she got living water. How many times have we come to a church or we've, we've listened to, you know, or done whatever, and all of a sudden, this time, it's different? Praise God that Jesus comes to meet us and he says, I am your Messiah. Can you say amen to that? Let's pray.